This lecture is brought to you by Knox Theological Seminary on iTunes U. Knox is a seminary in the tradition of the Reformation that exists to educate men and women to declare and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that this teaching will be beneficial in your Christian life and ministry. You know, the famous thing about Mussolini made the trains run on time in Italy, that's a good thing you know, um, uh, and so uh, why not emphasize the positive uh, and say, well, you know, these people can do good things and they, they, they often do good things um, uh, in their own way and uh, you, you don't really get beyond that, uh, you know. Uh, and uh, again, the Nazi, the whole Nazi thing is, is, is typical of this. Um, uh, I went to a concentration camp once in Poland um, to see it. And the, the thing that, that was really very shocking was not the gas chambers or the piles of clothing that were left behind and, and all that. I mean, that was, that was bad, but the, you kind of expected that. The really shocking thing was the display of letters that you had from people who worked in the camps. And letters written back to, like, they would order the gas from some company in Germany, and these letters would be, dear, you know, so-and-so, just writing to say that the shipment of gas that, you know, you, you sent has arrived safely. Uh, it is a very high quality, and it is doing the job really very well. Uh, and, you know, we're so grateful to you for the, hard, the, the effort and hard work that you're putting in. Um, very sorry to hear that your wife is not well. I hope she gets better for Christmas. Uh, you know, have a, have a wonderful holiday. Yours sincerely, signed by whoever. In other words, concentrating on the norm, trying to make this normal, you know, and saying that, you know, you've produced really high quality gas, it's doing its job, um, and, and, and all this, you know, uh, and ignoring the, the, the wider context. Now, I say this, again, not to be critical of these people particularly, but to say that this is, this is the kind of thing that we can do. We see we can fool ourselves into this. And people who are not Christians, people who, are not, uh, who don't, aren't aware uh, of total depravity, do this in effect. You see, we do this all the time. Uh, we, we talk about the, the good qualities that people have, and they do. I mean, there's no, there's no denying, we don't have to deny this. Uh, you know, there's a lot of goodness out there in the world, and people do, you know, do good things, uh, and so on. But the Christian message is good works don't save you. You know, uh, that however good the, the things that you do may be, um, uh, you are not going to be saved in this way because that's not what's really wrong. Uh, what's really wrong is this total depravity. It's something deeper uh, that you are cut off from God. You are cut off from his will. You are cut off from the knowledge of uh, the truth that you need to have. Uh, and you are relying on uh, your own innate capacities, your own innate uh, uh, sense of what is good and bad, what is right and wrong, um, and cannot see things in this wider, uh, in this wider perspective, uh, you know, see the, the, the bigger picture here. Uh, and 
this is this is something which is extremely difficult to deal with because of course uh, when you become aware of total depravity um, and the effect that it has and you know the fact that nothing we do um, is free of this you know you cannot rely on your own innate goodness uh, for salvation uh, you then of course become aware that um, you are not really a very good person uh, and that you do fail um, uh, you know and often fail a lot uh, and all the time and um, I mean I feel me I'm a Christian um, but there are lots of pagan people out there who are far better than I am in, in many ways, you know. Um, I mean, I know people who will stand out in the cold and wet uh, collecting money for Palestinian refugees or something, um, you know, all day long, uh, you know, week in, week out, and they do a tremendous job. And, and I wouldn't do this. Not because I think that, you know, that doesn't want to be, but I just wouldn't do it. I'm not that kind of person. And, but I often walk by and I think, Oh my goodness! I, I I wish I had their dedication, their commitment, you know. And and I mean, me, I'm just I'm, I'm just not in their league. Um, but then I have to say to myself, yes, that's true. But on the same time, this is not the basis of my salvation. You know, I mean, uh, good works, uh, good as they are, um, in themselves, dedication and everything else. Um, you know, this is, this is not going to get me to heaven. Uh, I often take the example of Saul of Tarsus in Acts chapter 9, you know, who became the Apostle Paul. Saul of Tarsus, before his conversion, I am convinced would have been hired by any church uh, that, that he applied to if he were to apply. Why? Well, because he had a great theological education. Uh, he came from a good family. Um, he was dedicated. Uh, he'd go anywhere, do anything, you know. I mean, he wasn't complaining all the time. Uh, he was always wanting to, you know, be one step ahead of the game and, uh, and be proactive and, uh, and everything else and, and enthusiastic, doing what he thought was God's will. The only problem is that he didn't know Jesus. But as you know, I mean, since when has that ever stopped anybody getting a job in a church? Um, and you, you look at these superficial things, you see the outside things, and you think, well, um, yeah, I mean, you know, there he is. But, uh, but his basic motive was wrong. You see, there's something deeper in his life. And of course, we know, and he, the fact that God struck him dead, really, you know, on the road to Damascus and, and, and raised him up again and sent him on his way, and, and he was able to testify of this later. But you see, later on when Paul writes to the Galatians, it's very interesting because he says, you know, God who, who chose me from my mother's womb, who prepared me, you know, for the... He, he had this sense of, uh, you know, that God had been in control of his whole life, even of this terrible moment. So that his sense of calling, his sense of... of, of uh, and so on, contained within it this belief 
that even in his rebellion, even in the depths of his de- of his depravity, he was nevertheless predestined by God. He was, you know, he'd been set apart by God for a purpose, and he was put through all of these things for that reason. And this is where predestination comes in, because predestination is not um, a, a, a badge of superiority. Uh, it, we are not predestined because we are better than other people. We are predestined because we have been chosen by God for a particular purpose. The first thing that we need to remember, we need to learn from this, is that our whole life, however bad it may be or appear to have been, is part of God's purpose. We may not immediately realize this. Often you only see from hindsight, um, you know, the truth of this. But however far away from God you may have you may have fallen, whatever may have happened to you in your previous life, if you have been chosen and called by God, and if He has turned you around and brought you out of that life then even that life that you were living before has its purpose in his plan, even if that purpose is just to keep you humble, you know, and make you realize, as it did in Paul's case, how dependent he was on the grace of God, you know. And to me, as one of my favorite verses in Ephesians, unto me who am less than the least of all saints has this grace been given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I mean, Paul wasn't boasting of his own achievement. He was boasting of the grace of God who had turned him around. So there is this sense. Um, The sense also that uh, our life has a purpose. Why am I doing what I'm doing? You know, why am I here? Why are you here? If you stop and think, you see, for a minute, and some, if somebody were to walk in now and, and say to us, well, you know, why are you sitting here talking about this kind of thing? Uh, I mean, you could be out dig- digging wells in Africa to give people, you know, drinking water. You could be playing the stock market, making money, um, perhaps. I mean, you, there are all sorts of things you could be doing. And some of the things you might easily say would, would be of greater value both to you or to you and to the rest of the world, possibly. You know, it's easy to be tempted away from this. And yet here you are for reasons that you may not even fully understand, doing this. And it's easy to go away at the end of the day, especially if you're a teacher like me. And you say to yourself, you know, I spent eight hours today talking to these people. They didn't understand a word. Why on earth do I do this? The reason I'm saying it, you see, is not really so much. I'm just replying it to myself because I always do apply these things to myself first before applying them to somebody else. But I mean, if you're a minister in a church or you're, you know, you could easily fall into this trap 
uh, of thinking, you know. Uh, you've got all these people sitting in front of you. They never pay a, a, a attention to a single thing I say. Um, uh, you know, really, where what, what am I doing? Um, you, you know, and this can happen. It doesn't, it's not just people who've been there for a year or two. Very often it's people who've, who've spent a lifetime of ministry in some very difficult place. And they wonder what the fruit is, uh, you know, from it. They sort of think, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, just don't ever get through. Uh, or so it would seem, uh, you know. Um, now that may be wrong, they may have a false perception, but it's easy to fall into that trap. You know, people, people do all the time. And, and, and then they say, well, why am I doing this? You know, what am I here for? Uh, and uh, my, my point is, we, A, we need to have a sense of purpose in our, in our lives. That's sort of built into our DNA, as it were. Uh, but that also God gives us this sense of purpose, not in the thing that we are doing right now, because you know and I know, um, that you know this particular group of people and this particular thing will come to an end, uh, and um, I don't would say forgotten, but I mean it, it's not going to lead to a you know a long term uh, monument of, of, of anything. We 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 know this, um, and most of what we do is like this. I mean, most of what we do we do for the time, and then it passes away, and you know it's hard to know. Uh, uh, what the long-term effect of it would be, we don't know. Um, this is not the, the the thing. It is rather that it, we are we are serving God, uh, you know, and growing closer to Him and being more sub submitted to Him by being obedient to His will and getting our satisfaction from that. You see that I go. I don't go home at night and say. I, I spoke for eight hours and nobody understood a word what's wrong with me or with them. I say, I, 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 I talked for eight hours about the grace of God and the, the goodness of God and the love of God, and wasn't that a wonderful opportunity? You know, and um, whether, whether anybody else has understood this or not. Um, and I'm grateful when you have. I mean, it's not that I, I think you, you aren't, but I'm, I'm not judging that way. You know, I'm, I'm not measuring my ministry by what I think the results may or may not be, because I, you know, that's not that's not the way to think. Uh, it's rather by the faithfulness and obedience. Am I doing what I think God wants me to do um, right now? Am I being obedient? You see, and and that's the question I ask, and I say to myself, yes. I am being obedient. This is what God wants me to do. This is why I am here. Um, primarily, I mean, I'm, I'm here to serve you as well, of course, and I don't ignore that, but, but I'm here to serve you because I am a servant of Christ and because you are a servant. I mean, you know, he, is, he is the filter, if you like. He is the prism through which all of this passes. I'm not here because I want to increase... Uh, my own, you know, portfolio um, of achievements uh, or anything like this, you know, to sort of add to my, my list of accomplishments, you know, spent a week teaching at Knox Theological Seminary, tick that one off. Um, I mean, this is not the point. You, know, you see what I'm saying? It's not for, for this kind of glory. It is really uh, as part of, uh, you know, uh, of, of predestination, um, of, of life with God, because any life with God, any 
life lived in the sense in the presence of God is going to be a kind of predestination. Why? Because God lives in eternity and I live in time, um, uh, time and space. Time and space will come to an end. When time and space comes to an end, where will I be? And if I say, well, I will be with God in eternity because I am already in contact with God in eternity, you know, that's the reality. And uh, one day, uh, you know, time and space will just sort of fade away, um, fall away, and the eternity will become total in my experience. Um, you know, what Jesus, to put it in the language of Jesus, uh, you know, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven uh, where moth does not corrupt and thieves do not break in and steal. Um, uh, you know, because this is what's permanent, this is what's real and so on, and, and the, the earthly things will gradually sort of fall away. Uh, and, uh, you know, that heavenly thing, which is already there uh, and, and, and felt, will become the whole picture, not just you know, something that we, as Paul says, now we see through a glass darkly, 1 Corinthians 13, but then face to face, now I know in part, uh, but then I shall know even as also I am known. Uh, you know, what is partial, what is what is uh, something that you cannot see fully will become the fullness of the reality. And that's how I think of predestination. That's how I think of salvation. Um, you know, that it's being changed, again, to use the biblical phrase, being changed from glory into glory, uh, you know, um, that, that we are actually moving from one state uh, of being, which is partial, uh, to an ever fuller realization. And then one day that realization will become complete, it will be full. And we will see, then we, when we reach the, our destination, um, then, then we will see it, you know, for what it is. And sometimes, you see, because we're on a journey, because we are headed toward, I mean, again, predestination, the sense of going somewhere, you know, headed somewhere. Being on a journey can be, be a fascinating experience. Um, near where I live in Cambridge, in England, uh, some of you will have been there, so you may know this, but if you haven't, it's very flat. In fact, most of the countryside roundabout is below sea level, you know, and it's threatened with inundation because of global warming and all that. All right. But in the flat, there are little islands, little humps that come above the flatness because it used to be all swamp and the swamp had been drained. And on one of these islands, is the cathedral, you know, of the area, our cathedral. Because it was built on solid ground, you see, rather than on the, the, in the swampland. The result, of course, is that you can see the cathedral from miles away. And I was just thinking about this, oh, a couple of weeks ago when I was going there, and, and I went on the bus, I always go on the bus, because we have double-decker buses, you sit on the top of a double-decker bus, you see for miles. And you could see, you know, the cathedral, like a long way away. This cathedral just appears out of nowhere. And the town around it, you can't see. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, it's, a, it's, it's really wonderful because you get a picture of what it must have looked like in the Middle Ages. You know, just trees and, and, and like as if it's in the country. 
and this majestic stone cathedral rising from apparently nowhere. And it's a guiding light. You know, you can sort of see you're heading this way and you're going that way and, and, and you can judge, you know, how far you are away. But the crazy thing is that the, when you actually get into the town, where the, the city where the cathedral is, you can't see it anymore. You can't see it anymore because you're basically under it. You know, you're, you're at the bottom of the hill, and, and it's only as you climb up the hill that it gradually sort of comes back into view. And it's a most disconcerting experience because, you know, it's, it's 15 miles north of Cayman. And for most of that 15 miles, you have the cathedral staring in you in the face. And you cannot miss it. It's the only thing on the horizon. Until you get to within about a mile, and it disappears. And then you kind of have to navigate your way through the streets, you know, and up the hill, and, and, and you eventually get there. I think, you know, what an image this is of, of the Christian life. Because some, it can happen that the closer you are to your destination, the harder it may be to see it. You know, from a distance you can sort of know what's happening uh, and so on. But the closer you get, um, you know, it's, it's, it, it can be a kind of illusion, you know, that you, you, you lose sight of it because you're so near. Um, and then you have to persevere. You see, the last little bit, you're actually climbing a hill. And while you've been on a journey for quite a while, you may not want to climb the hill, you know, it's a bit of an effort. Um, and you do that, it's a, but it's that last little thing, you know, that you have to, uh, have to do, you have to sort of... Um, push your way, and then you, you, you're there, you've arrived, uh, you know, in this magnificent place. It's a beautiful place. And I think, well, you know, what a parable this is of the Christian life. Um, because you can, you can see your destination, you can see where you're headed, you can see where the promises of God. But as you get closer, very often, you know, um, things can cloud over. You know, it's amazing how, how this can happen, um, you know, towards the end of your life, that uh, you can, I wouldn't say necessarily lose your faith, but you can, you can start to doubt, you can start to wonder what's going on. And I remember many years ago having to deal with this uh, in a particular case, because uh, the parish that I was serving in in London we had a retired uh, priest, minister from the next pastor from the neighboring parish. And this man had gone there in 1933 as a young man. And he'd been involved in youth ministry and so on. But he was, he was a bit simple-minded in the head. He, he could never really be anything other than an assistant in the church. I mean, he was very good at what he did, but he couldn't run something himself, you know. He could only really help somebody else out. And as long as the church was big enough and prosperous enough to be able to afford to keep him as an assistant, things went reasonably well. But in 1971, um, the, the, whoever his boss or the rector was, I forget now, I don't really, I wasn't around then, left 
And this assistant, the only way to keep the church open was to make him the rector, you know, give him the, the top job. And he'd been there, what, from 1933, so that's 38 years as the assistant. And he just couldn't deal with it. He couldn't, you know, he, he didn't have what was in it, him to do it, so they made him the rector in order to keep the church open. But the poor man was, was out of his depth. He didn't know what to do, and he started drinking, which was terrible. And he was just lost, you know. He just, he just, he just couldn't handle all of this. And so eventually, in about 1978, he, uh, he was retired. You know, they just said, you cannot carry on like this. They took him out, and he came to our parish, my parish, and I was just newly ordained then. And I used to, to, to go and visit him because he was retired and very lonely and, and so on. Um, and his name, I mean, his, his real name was Sidney Goose. That was his name. And everybody called him Father Goose, you know. It was funny. Yeah. Uh, we used to say, yeah, <laughs> it's a good thing there's no Mother Goose. Um, but anyway, um, and Father Goose was there and, uh, and doing all this. And, um, but he, he was a broken man, you know, at this time. And towards the end of his life, he, he just, you know, he, he just went a bit funny in the head. And I used to go and visit him, and I would say, thing, you know, that did he want me to pray with him? No. Uh, did he want to receive communion, to take his communion, make his communion? No. Um, you know, did he want to have, he didn't, really didn't want to have anything to do with anything. You know, he was just sort of completely out of it. And, and I thought, my goodness, you know, this poor man, he's been doing, he's been in ministry of one kind or another for over 50 years, and, and he's got to this. And he did die, uh, he eventually died, um, and so on. And I thought about this a lot, and I thought, you know, I, I would never dream of passing any kind of judgment on him at all. But it, it brought home to me this, this fact that, you see, at the end of his life, he, he thought he was a failure, you know. And, of course, me, looking at it from the outside, would say, well, he'd been put, first of all, he'd been put in a position which he should never have been put in. That was the first thing. And the second thing was he wasn't a failure. Because unknown to him, he'd made a, a, an incredible impression on people. I mean, when he died, his funeral, people lined the streets. There were hundreds of people. They came from all over, um, uh, you know, and, uh, and everybody was sort of testifying over the years what, uh, how much they owed to him. And, of course, the poor guy was dead. I mean, he, you know, he couldn't hear this. Um, but the effect that he had had on people, you know, was, was, was outstanding over a very long period of time. But he himself had lost the vision when he was under, you know, when he was near the end. I mean, he just couldn't see uh, where he was going. And I thought to myself, how important it is that we realize that our faith does not depend on sight, that our, uh, our eternal destiny is not determined by the way we feel, you know? Uh, that, and I, I thought to myself, well, if I get to this stage, 
you know. Of course, some of my friends think I've been there for a while. But if I, um, yeah, well, um, but if I get to this point in my life, you know, I, I, I really think about this and pray about this and think to myself, I hope and pray that somebody, even if I can't see it, you know, because I'm in pain or because I've lost my mind or because of something, that somebody will have the, around me will have the faith to believe that I'm actually nearer, my, you know, I'm nearer than when I first believed, that I, you know, that my life has not been a complete waste. Even if I think that, and even if I say that because I'm depressed uh, or, or whatever. And, and it's in this kind of thing, you see, that predestination, it seems to me, comes into its own as a reassurance that God knows what he's doing with my life. It doesn't depend on the way I feel. These courses provide a glimpse into our academic programs. Knox students can take one-week or semester-length courses in person at our South Florida campus or choose to complete a degree entirely online. By bringing together academic excellence, a vibrant community of learning, and flexible scheduling, Knox offers today's students timeless truth through modern convenience. For more information about earning credit toward a master's degree, please visit our website at knoxseminary.edu.